0: Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to see wonderful things in your word today, that you would open our hearts to receive the message of this scripture, the message you have for each one of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have good news to share, How do you go about sharing it? There's so many ways in this world, aren't there? I mean, I don't know if you're into social media. I'm not, life is too short. Uh, But maybe you're into it. Maybe you use all these amazing things like Twitter and have you moved to threads? I don't know. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. What do you use if you want to spread good news or do you just pick up a telephone and dial the dial? And of course, in this day, when there is so much information being spread around, it's very hard to keep at the top of the agenda for very long what we think is really important and the good news that we want to tell others and that they might remember it when there are so many other voices trying to grab our attention. Well, the great message, the word of truth, the good news about Jesus had got through to it was a message that was going around the world. If you look at the beginning of the letter, chapter 1, verse 6, verse 5 indeed. Of this, this hope uh, laid up in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, Verse 7, how did you hear it? You learned it from Epaphras. It was through the, the preaching and teaching of this one man, Epaphras, in his hometown of Colossae, that the message of Jesus, which was spreading across the world in the days before the internet, came to this group of Christians now who responded to the message. And the letter begins with thanksgiving for that fact. It's one of the great hallmarks of this letter. We always, verse 3 of chapter 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But somehow, some in the church have begun to lose their grasp on just how magnificent is the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is a sad thing and yet for us it's a wonderful thing because we therefore have one of the great purple passages of the new testament of the whole bible in chapter 1 15 to 20 with this amazing description of the lord jesus christ the supreme lord of the universe and lord of the church and what is more says paul you if you put your trust in him you are complete in him So, we get this language in verse 3 of chapter 2 about the Lord Jesus Christ being the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, if that's true, if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Him, you don't need to look anywhere else than to Him. And even more amazing, in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, not only is in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwelling bodily, verse 9, But Paul then says this in verse 10, and you, you have been filled in him. So as we were reminded at the beginning, Christ is not only supreme, he is sufficient. You don't need to go anywhere else or look to anyone else. And if there's one thing I want you to remember from this series, indeed probably from my whole time here, these 11 years, it is this that Christ is supreme and so sufficient. You don't need to go anywhere else than to Him, and He's not gonna leave you. And the Christian life, church life, is all about walking with this Jesus as supreme and sufficient Lord. I think that's what Paul is driving at in chapter two, verses six and seven. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the one he's just described, The Lord, the magnificent Lord, supreme, so walk in Him, with Him as your Lord, as well as your Savior, your supreme and sufficient Lord. And the task of the preacher and the task of the Christian is to keep on proclaiming this Christ so that we may all be presented one day, mature in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 28, Him we proclaim, Christ that is warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, that includes you, mature in Christ, complete in Him. And yet, it's a struggle, as he immediately goes on to say, chapter 129, for this I toil, struggling. So how are we going to go about it? This is our question for this morning. How are we going to go about it? Keeping on spreading the good news and making sure that does never stop and never gets drowned out by other voices or relegated by competing priorities. And guess what? I found three things that will help us. First, persistent prayer. Verses two to four. Continue steadfastly or persistently. In prayer, Stick to it. Now, of course, prayer is one of the great marks of a true Christian. Do you remember when Ananias was sent to the, well, Saul, as he was then, who just had that vision on the Damascus Road, and he was, he was flabbergasted that God would send him to the arch-persecutor of the Christians. Uh, and the response he got from God was, look, he's praying. He's, he's actually praying. In other words, something dramatic has happened in his life. He's a changed man. He's a true Christian. He's praying. And we're not here talking about 999 calls. Now, everyone calls on God in an emergency, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. We all do that. But we're talking about something different here. We're talking about what would be the case if your phone was checked, as it were. You know how on your phone, if you notice that, uh, if you go to your call settings, um, it will say uh, favorites, and it will say recent calls. And uh, like it or not, your phone doesn't tell lies. Uh, And it will tell you who you've been most recently calling and who is your favorite person to speak to. Uh, Might want to check your spouses when you get home. Um, No, that was a very naughty comment, sorry. (laughs) Well, if you checked your kind of prayer phone, your, your uh, non-electronic communication with God, what would it say? Would it have that he's actually your, your favorite to speak to? Uh, that he's your most recently contacted person in your life? But if you're a Christian, it will. It'll show up that you are constantly talking to God. continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep it up, says Paul, and do it together. Remember, this is a plural command. Keep praying together to God. Being watchful. Now, what is that talking about? Well, some people think this is talking about conscious of the return of Christ. Remember, Paul talked about Christ appearing in chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears. So, he's coming back. Be conscious of that. Maybe it's that, Maybe it's just being constantly awake to the reality that Christ is our life. That's one of the wonderful phrases, isn't it? It's actually in the same verse, chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is our life if we're Christians. He's everything to us. He's the one through whom everything is created, for whom everything exists. So we were created through Him and for Him. That's why we're here, like the rest of creation. So, not surprisingly, the tone of voice that comes right through this letter and should dominate our prayer is, chapter 4, verse 2, thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. thanksgiving that God has revealed himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, even to you and to me, that he has procured full forgiveness and a glorious future. Christ in us, the hope of glory. This world is not as it is, is not the end of the story. Continue steadfastly in prayer. But Paul has a particular focus that he wants The Colossians to have in their praying. Do you see that in verse 3? At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. It's a very simple picture, isn't it? A door opening that you can go through, a door for the word, the, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to go through. Here it is to declare the mystery or the revelation now of Christ, on account of which Paul says, I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul wants his readers, he wants the Colossian Christians to pray for him, well, who is the us? Well, do you see, go back to the beginning of the letter. Who is the we? Chapter one, verse one. It's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was the, if you like, the first appointed pastor. He wasn't an apostle, just a pastor. But he was doing, as pastors should, the work of an evangelist alongside his pastoral work and his teaching and preaching. So Paul is saying, please pray for us, for Timothy and for me, that there would be opportunities, that God would open doors, that there would be openness, that God would open hearts, probably is implied by the same phrase, to open to us a door for the Word. Opportunities and openness. And of course, Paul knows, as any student of church history knows, that effective evangelism begins with persistent prayer, that a prayerless church will be a fruitless church. Every great move of God in history has been preceded and accompanied by persistent prayer. It's been encouraging to see recently the prayer gathering, a solid core, slowly growing. Now, I know not everyone can make Thursday nights. I'm not wanting to make you feel guilty if you don't come along, but I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you to be part of a group that prays. It's hard work praying, as we'll see later. Remember, Epaphras was struggling in his prayers. Well, we all struggle in our prayers because it's work, and it's hard work, and it's a spiritual battle. So, how much better it is when we pray with others. It doesn't have to be at the prayer gathering, though come if you can, but try to find others in the church that you can pray with on a regular basis to join you in the struggle to pray and to be steadfast and persistent in prayer. Now, one of the helpful things I think to note here is that Paul is praying particularly for himself and Timothy to have this opportunity and to speak clearly as he ought to speak. Incidentally, it's one of the, for me, it's always one of the greatest compliments. I'm not fishing for a compliment here, but I'm just saying that when someone says to me at the door, that, that was really clear, I take that as a huge compliment because I look at verse four and Paul's saying that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So if it's not clear, something's gone wrong. So pray that your preachers are clear as they ought to be. But one of the things that I think it's really helpful here is to realize that Paul is praying for himself and for Timothy, or asking them to pray for himself and for Timothy. Because not all of us are called to preach. In fact, only some of us are called to preach. But we are all called to pray. The revelation of God in Christ has been given to us in history. He came 2,000 years ago. It's been recorded for us in Scripture, but it must be spoken by God's servants. If people's minds are to be open to the truth. So every time a sermon is preached and Christ is presented, it should be an eye-opener. There should be people whose eyes are opening as they realize, oh, this is, this is a revelation for me. Even at your stage of life, you may be quite young, you may be very old, you may be somewhere in between, but this is a message for you. And there was that day in Colossae when Epaphras came along and they were taught by him and they understood the truth through his preaching. And for each of us here who's a believer, there was an Epaphras in our life. There was someone who came along, might have been your mother, might have been a friend at school, Might have been a book that you read, someone putting it in writing. And God used that to open your eyes to the truth about the Lord Jesus. But it's not everyone who's called to do the preaching, but everyone is called to do the praying, to support the preaching, and to ask that the Lord would open doors and would make the communication clear. Well, you say, but, but are we not supposed to open our mouths? Are we not supposed to witness for the Lord if we're Christians? Isn't that how we're going to keep the good news spreading? Well, you're right, because it's not just by persistent prayer for open doors and clear proclamation. It's also, secondly, this is how we'll keep the good news spreading, by responsive evangelism, verses five and six. Responsive evangelism. Now, it's a clear instruction, isn't it, verse 5, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. We're talking about those who are outside the church, who are not yet believers. We've got to buy up every opportunity and make the best use of the time. Time is short. Now, what does this walk, this walking in wisdom, look like? Well, Paul has already twice in the letter used this phrase or this metaphor, if you like, of walking. Walking. It's some translations translate it to live, but it's a lovely metaphor because most of us walked into this building. I think all of us just about walked into this building. We walk all the time. It's a very natural thing. It's how we go about living. We do a lot of walking. And so Paul is saying, well, how are you going to walk? I want you to walk, chapter one, verse 10, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. A Christian will be noticeable by their going about doing good works, like Jesus was noticeable. He was a man who went around doing good. So every Christian should be marked as someone who just goes around doing good at every opportunity. That's how they walk. They walk also, chapter two, verse six, in Christ with him as their Lord. So every area of their lives is subject to his rule and authority. We saw that last time, didn't we? Family life, singleness, marriage, work, all under his authority. So there'll be a consistency to our life, an integrity. So the people who see us in the home on a Saturday, just pottering around, or out on a Saturday evening, or at work on a Monday, won't be surprised if they also see us at church on a Sunday. They won't think, What? What are they doing at church? How does that square with what I saw them doing on Saturday or on Monday? No, there's this fundamental integrity to their walk. And this is the wisdom that we need to show as Christians. We need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, to have a good reputation in our place of work, in our school, in our college, in our road, whatever it is. Where does this wisdom come from? It comes from Christ, who's the source of all wisdom. And I think what Paul is communicating through this letter is you think, where, why is it he's left this to last in the letter? Now, he doesn't tell us, but it seems to me that he's establishing that, that we need to worry about how we live For the gospel before we worry about how we speak for the gospel our sharing of the gospel has to be on a good foundation of a life that is transparently walking with the Lord so what about sharing the gospel then well look at verse 6 let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, when you go about speaking something about the gospel, it should be based on a speech that is always gracious. In other words, the way that words come out of our mouth, if you like, should fit in with or match the word gracious, that there should be something gracious about how we speak as Christians. Let your speech always be gracious. Well, what does that look like? Well, flick back to chapter 3, verse 12. Surely it's things like this, isn't it? Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience that out of our mouths come words that are kind and compassionate and humble and patient. And back to chapter four, verse, verse six, also season with salt. Now that's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I used to put a lot of salt on my food uh, when I was a kid until I met Joe, and she told me I was putting far too much on my food, so there was already salt in the food, so don't put any more in. Um, so I'm sure I've been much healthier ever since then. Um, But you do need flavoring in your food, don't you? And I think the idea of seasoned with salt is this idea that that our language should, there should be something interesting in how we speak as Christians. We shouldn't be, if I could put it this way, really boring. Uh, That we should add flavor to conversation because we say something that comes from a Christian perspective that we're trying to make people think, not in a high-handed or a condescending way. I tried this a bit on Wednesday evening. I'll give you an example of how I applied this to my own life as I was preparing it this week. It's not a very good example, but I'll I'll give it to you anyway. On Wednesday evening, I was playing tennis, um, and uh, serving was someone who was completely new to the club, never met them in my life before. And my partner, my tennis partner and I, they served the first serve and I thought it was just out. My eyesight's not the best, but I thought it was just out. My partner, tennis partner thought the same, so we call, I hit it into the net, we called it out and waited for the second serve. The server says, uh, no, that, that, that was okay. We said, well, we thought it was out, so why don't you just play two? You know, have another first serve. And then he said a line which I shall never forget. He said, I've been playing tennis for many years, and that was in. (laughs) It's a great line, isn't it? Uh, Well, I I just, I instantly grinned, and I couldn't wipe the grin off my face for about three games, I think it was. Um, But I did, I said, oh, Lord, please help me to keep my mouth shut, not to say anything. So I found the grace to say nothing. Nothing. And I also decided, I, this was a newcomer to the club, that I would be as friendly as I possibly could, and I volunteered to partner them in a later social game, and you know was as chatty as I could, found, about, found out about them, et cetera. Later in the evening, I was sitting, we were having drinks at the end, and, and my partner in that game raised this comment that I shall never forget. And I responded by saying, and this is where I said, Lord, please help me to say something something Christian here, Um, rather than all the sort of wisecracks I thought of at the time. Uh, And I just, well, I thought it was just a great opportunity to exercise some self-control. Now, was that salty speech? Was that gracious? I hope it was. But it's just little things like that that we need to be constantly on the alert and responding to the situation not necessarily sharing that Jesus died for our sins and that's good news for the world, which it is, but just something, a Christian perspective, something that's salty, which is responsive to the situations and better still to the questions that people ask, end of the verse, so that you may know how you are ought to answer each person. And I think this ties in with what we read earlier in 1 Peter 3 about always being ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, ready to give an answer to those who ask you for the reason. So that constant readiness, it is a responsive thing, and yet it is a gospel thing. I came across this quote from from Dick Lucas, who I used to work for many years ago, which I think is superb, so I'm just gonna read you a quote on this verse. Yes, there is a responsibility to speak but it is responsive evangelism. Guess where I got my my heading from. That the typical Christian must look for rather than direct evangelism opportunities. It's not a question of better technique. It's simply knowing how to answer people. That is to say, to respond to the questions of others rather than initiate conversations on leading topics. Christians are to accept openings rather than make them. But this is emphatically not to sound the retreat. Paul evidently believes that opportunities for response and explanation are to be found everywhere, for everyone is looking to discover answers about life and its meanings. It's obvious what strain this removes from conscientious Christians. The pressure to raise certain topics and reach certain people can make it difficult to live or talk normally. In any case, we go to the office to work, not to evangelize. But by being ready and willing to respond, the way is open to a more serene and successful approach to each day's opportunities. It opens the way too for a greater dependence on God's leading as well as for a more relevant and sensitive witness suited to each individual. And remember, when the outsider has chosen the time and the place and the subject, how wonderfully free is the Christian to open their mouth and tell the good news of Jesus. I think that's so helpful. And I remember when I had a proper job many years ago, um, I would pray as as I went in and went up the lift or down the corridor to my room, I would be praying that the Lord would make me ready for any opportunities that day. And that is the prayer that surely we should have. It's a responsive evangelism. We live the life, and then we're ready for the opportunities as they ask the questions. So, persistent prayer, responsive evangelism, and more briefly, remember, thirdly, it's a team effort, verses 7 to 18. It's a team effort. And Paul goes through his team list, name after name. And I wish I could go through now, I know the time is gone, but I wish I could go through now all the names of the people in Duke Street and just say a word to each one of you. Maybe of appreciation or of encouragement. Look, for example, at how Paul describes Tychicus. It's a great name, isn't it? Beloved brother, faith, this is verse seven, beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. Now, I find the name Simon easier to pronounce than Tychicus, and I want to say thank you to Simon, because these last nine years, Simon has been alongside me, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I thank God for Simon, and I ask you to pray for him as he steps up into this new role that God would encourage his heart, and may you encourage his heart too. There's also wonderful words for Mark in verse 10. Now, if you know the story of Mark, and if you've ever read the Acts of the Apostle, you'll know that there was a moment, it's about 12 years before Paul wrote this letter, when he and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement about Mark. Paul felt that Mark had completely let the side down, had abandoned ship right in the middle of an important voyage, as it were. And so he and Barnabas went their separate ways. And Paul was not prepared to work with Mark for a number of years, it seems. But here, look at what he says in verse 10. I've sent you instructions about Mark. If he comes to you, be very cautious about him. Is that what he says? No, he says, welcome him. It's not a wonderful restoration of a brother who did make probably a a complete hash of it at one stage, pulled out, didn't pull his weight, and yet Paul is willing to have him back in. So maybe there's someone you know in the church that you feel has really let the side down, but it's years now. Well, have that same spirit of gentleness and welcoming back and be intentional in encouraging others, bringing comfort, verse 11. And keep wrestling in prayer. Epaphras, of course, was the one who, in in the language that we would use today, he planted the church, verse 12. He's a servant of Christ Jesus, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, wrestling literally in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. And of course, the will of God in Colossians, we know, is not talking about individual guidance so much as the the grand strategy of God to save the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're worried about your future and what's going to happen and what you're going to be doing in a few weeks or months time, uh, I'm tempted to that. Um, Don't, because it's very clear what God's will is for the world. His will is to save his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we need to do is order our lives in the light of that. His will is that we all become mature in Christ, fully assured, filled with the fullness of God. And this affects everything. Our character, our career, our family, our singleness, our marriage, our school, our college, our work, our so-called retirement and this revelation about who Jesus is and why he's come is, is wonderful news for the world. It's good news, and we want it to keep spreading, don't we? So we pray persistently for open doors and clear proclamation, ever thankful that God opened our hearts to receive this message. We seek to live wisely and evangelize responsibly, always ready to give a reason for our hope to anyone who asks. And we work as a team sticking together, encouraging one another's hearts, wrestling in prayer for one another, that each of us might live our lives in the light of the magnificent Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life, who is our hope, supreme and sufficient. And this is how we're going to keep the good news spreading. Let's pray.